You're listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Jeff Pilsner. And my name is Tesh. And I'm Anna. And who are we talking to now, Tesh? We're talking to Gary, my dear friend from New York City, Gary Takon. Hi, Gary. Hi, Tesh. Can you hear us? Can we all I, hear I can each- hear you well. Can you hear me? I can hear you well also. But I think for the last 30 years, I think I've always been hearing you well. <laughs> Whether we're together, whether you're not, it's a bit the nature of our brotherhood. That's very kind of you. How long have we known each other? Probably 30 years or so? Uh, it's between 25 and 30. I first met you, Gary, and just for our listeners, uh, Gary is also, as well as myself, a yoga teacher and uh, incredible body worker, and I call you a healer and uh, your incredible work always inspires me. Uh, there's so much articulation and poignancy in the way that you either conduct a session or just make yourself available to that healing presence. You're presently working with Alec Baldwin, isn't that right? I'm working with, uh, with actually his younger brother at the moment, Stephen. Oh, yes. And is that on a movie set or is it... Uh, is it around your in New York? Well, um, I, I I go to his house and yeah. I, I work with him there. But he also uh, takes me on all of his film jobs. Yeah. So, what's the role of a yoga teacher on a film set? Yeah. Well, I um, I try my best to uh, make him as relaxed and as comfortable as possible. And I, I usually do that um, by stretching him out between, uh, between shots, whenever he has a break, when they're moving the cameras. We religiously go straight back to the trailer, and I lay him down, and usually I begin at the feet. And I, I simply uh, imagine what it would be like if I were him. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I lean away while I'm holding him by his heels. And as he's facing up, it allows him to relax completely and have each of his limbs individually, um, I think of it as summoning away from his pelvis and from his torso. Right. I, I've been at the receiving end of that with Tesh, and I know how relaxing it is. Except he's dangling us by our heels, though. <laughs> Over a railing somewhere. Mm-hmm. My first time with Jeff and Anna, I says, up in the air you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good question. Uh, but as you all know, when you make contact with somebody else, you find yourself in an interior environment, which is really tough to describe. Mm-hmm. But um, the wish is to distract him from... Any, uh, any preoccupations and bring him absolutely in the moment where the magic really happens. And in this case, the magic we're looking for is total uh, relaxation, no muscular tension, nowhere whatsoever, while he's um, being assisted toward that state. He's also resting deeply. So when you're being photographed over a period of 12 hours, the same shot, the different angles, 
it's very important for his vessel to be able to rejuvenate a certain kind of um, energy that mm -hmm. allows him to remain clear and also appear in the direction of however he's wishing to, um, to be perceived. It's interesting. You're, you're very intensely in service through that whole process. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful job if you have to work. So yes, <laughs> there must be a, it, a high degree of appreciation that they have for you as well, right? In um, the end, well, you know that's um, that's something that I can't really speak toward. They do bring me and they do pay me, so I know that there's a certain amount of appreciation. Uh, the high degree of it, I, I mean, I think they acknowledge that. Um, it's, it's their good fortune to have somebody who is there who can enter into their field mm -hmm. so intimately, so safely, and in a way that's not uh, at all social. Right. The, uh, your job, at, uh, very similar to my job when I was doing the <laughs> similar thing with the, on the movie sets, wasn't always easy. I mean, the toughest one and my last one was Natural Born Killers with Woody. And that was a tough one to keep calm and relaxed in, uh, in between shoots. You know, it was almost like we needed a, um, a major bomb to go off or something different to uh, shift the energy. You couldn't, it, be, you couldn't be more right, Tesh. It's, it's not for the faint of heart yeah. to have this kind of responsibility, especially on a movie set when the conditions are constantly, spontaneously changing. And... You could be uh, you could be in very cold weather. We spent uh, a month in Warsaw this past um, February on um, on a night shoot for three weeks. For three weeks, we shot out night at night, out of doors in a Baltic Sea country, and it was wicked. And yet, uh, my job is to remain as poised as possible and to have him feel confident that he can come somewhere within my embrace and uh, achieve the same state of deep rest, relaxation, and concentration on his characterizations or whatever else his heart desires. But my job is to be there and, and do my best to, to create that atmosphere. So have you been working with him for a long time? Well, I, uh, I came up with Alec Baldwin. I was a classically trained actor, and we were in yeah. the same acting class. And I, um, I was blessed with a certain athletic prowess, which was uh, summoned on one job. I, I actually, my first film job was uh, on a film called The Muppets Take Manhattan in 1982, I had to steal Miss Piggy's pocketbook and sort of look <laughs> cool while I was doing it. So <laughs> I remember that uh, film. Yeah, I'll we'll have to um, go back Kermy, and check it out. Kermy. <laughs> That's exactly right. Kermy, Kermy. <laughs> hey, there's Gary. But um, uh, anyway, I, um, so I began a stunt career without ever intending it. And by the time uh, Alec came up through the ranks and shot the moon, he... Uh, he got a film called The Hunt for Red October. Oh, great film. And he called me up and said, you're not going to believe this. They just called and asked me if I had my own stunt guy. And I said, well, what did you say? He said, I said, I said yes. I said, who would that be? He said, well, that would be you. That's the good news. The bad news is you got to come to L.A. tomorrow. And I said, brother, twist my arm. <laughs> so, 
that was the beginning of a wonderful uh, 12-year association I had with Alec. And um, at the end of that, he asked me if I would consider working with uh, his brother, Stephen. And uh, Stephen, at that point, had uh, begun doing some films. Uh, he had just come off of uh, a, a very nice project called The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Another that film. great film. And was going to begin his, his own, uh, you know, his own career. And uh, so I said, certainly. And uh, the fortunate thing was that Stephen lived very close to where I lived. And my daughter and his daughter happened to be good friends from, um, from primary school. So all of a sudden it looked like stars were lining up for me to continue my efforts uh, with, with uh, the youngest of the Baldwin brothers. Hmm. Yes. So I met I met Tesh. We should say I met Tesh on uh, on on a film uh, called The Juror when Tesh was working with Demi Moore. I thought it was striptease. Didn't we meet in striptease? Um. Well, which one came first? Striptease came first. Oh, it was striptease. It was striptease. Yes, striptease is what it was. And uh, I I happened to be there. independently uh, as a, a second unit um, director's assistant. Um, I knew the producer, and he, uh, he needed somebody who, who knew all about film and action to go and assist the second unit director, so I went there and did that. And uh, he asked me if I would, as a gift to, um, to the gal who Demi had there giving her massages, it was her birthday. The, the masseuse's birthday and the producer uh, asked me to go and, and give her a present from him of a massage. And as I was a massage therapist, I, I said, certainly. So I went to give her a massage and there was Tesh. So it ended up being a four way session of <laughs> all, all, all manner of fun and frolicking in a, in a first class way. And, um, <laughs> I'm glad you and had then that. We did that. Every day, frolicking <laughs> and first class. Yeah. That's three Fs. That's alliteration. I'm not going to ask for specifics. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was extremely playful. Let's say that. But it, and it did but, but it was inspiring enough. It was inspiring enough to um, promote a continuation for the following six weeks. It was just it was just a, a very very wonderful period. And for the following and, 25 years, we haven't let go, and we're still saying hi, brother. It's it's uh it's it's so it's so um, interesting to be able to acknowledge that forces are at work upon well everybody, but when it happens to you and someone else simultaneously, and you acknowledge that there's there's something uh, wonderfully reliable and binding about that, and I suppose our relationship is uh, is pretty 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 good evidence of that. Yes. Did you ever find that the Hollywood life did you ever find that it was challenging to stay grounded? And if so, how did you deal with it? Well, I, you know, there was a tremendous amount of good fortune that happened early in my life. I, uh, I got to travel with, uh, with Paul Simon and Sting in a, in a similar capacity, taking care of them. Uh, Pincus Zuckerman was a concert violist. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I realized that um, my, my function was, uh, was such an honor to be invited into the creative atmosphere of these uh, most wonderful, blessed musicians 
was uh, was such a privilege. My focus was really on what we spoke of earlier, contributing to their creative atmosphere. And if it meant simply me uh, applying my skills to so that they might relax, I mean, it was always right up until the moment of introduction that I had my hands on these guys. Mm-hmm. And um, we would go to venues. They would rent hotel room very close to the venue. So the very last thing that happened to them before they went on stage in front of 4,000, 5,000, or 50,000 people was, um, was having, having uh, manual reflections of their equipment bestowed upon them. <laughs> and so this, this, was, uh, this was an important uh, qualifier for me to realize that this is, this is just an unbelievable blessing that I have this responsibility. So remaining grounded, absolutely, the nature of the work is to ground oneself and to convey the, uh, the joy of that. Um, that same, that exact same impulse, and this is, this is what really is the most wonderful thing of what Tesh and I share, the same impulse has continued to evolve within us because now that impulse of being grounded has turned into anchoring. And anchoring is, uh, is a very interesting practice that is available to all, but curiously, um, curiously remains out of people's reach because it's not taught anywhere. And what is it to anchor oneself? Yes. Uh, that's, that's, that's an entire other, uh, that's an entire other discussion. Well, how would you define that? We have well, another simply, 45 minutes, so we well, have plenty well, of time here. Well, you're, 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 you're so sweet and kind. Um, <laughs> For me, I can only speak about what my experience is. I strive to make certain that there's nothing theoretical, or as my wife says, wa'u, wa'u, about anything we do or try to share with any of the students who come by. And so, for me, I've always been anti-industry, which is to say when yoga went up into uh, the the higher octaves of... uh, commercialism, I went in the opposite direction. I stopped using yoga terminology, for example, in all of my classes, and I tried to distill what, what the essence of what I understood about coordinated movement uh, that, that issues from the interior, and it, it got to the point where I, I came to call uh, what, what I was attempting to convey to other people a common practice. And that's what I still call it to this day. And it's based on just the simplest range of motion movements. And through that practice alone arose an understanding of the necessity to acquaint myself with this um, chronic, merciless, invisible force that's upon every single human being on the surface of the planet called gravity. And it's a very easy thing to theorize about gravity and how, uh, how simple it is to just integrate with it or to just understand it. But the true fact is that everybody who is here on the planet is 100% shaped by gravity. And those who appear not to be 
for example, ballet dancers. Oh, she has such a wonderful posture. Well, this is quite forced and quite um, in the opposite direction about what I'm speaking about. What I'm most interested in, and this is where Tesh is in many ways the spiritual love of my life because he, he allows me to cast these reflections at, at him and he simply absorbs them and reflects them back with his own interpretation and it's so inspiring. But for me, to be anchored means to place all of your weight on your heels when you're standing and when you're still. And if one does that, it's really quite difficult to slouch. Now, what I don't want to do is just um, offer a prescription of an instantaneous fix. Because That's what not, I was hoping for. <laughs> uh, well, you, you can actually have the sensation of being fixed. <laughs> that but, happens but when the, Tesh works on me, but it doesn't last very long. Well, this is the interesting thing. Nothing lasts long. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful, but, Gary. But, but there is, the, there is the, uh, the capacity to practice. And uh, what I have ever change is that moment. With every single breath that I take while I'm leaning in the direction of being anchored is somehow cumulative. And one begins to discern the difference between being um, attuned to gravity's impact on the entire vessel or not. There's no in between. <laughs> you're either you're either aware of it and uh, striving to integrate with gravity, or you're not, and gravity's victim, and therefore lingering about where we all tend to settle when we're not aware that we're being compressed by gravity. That would explain Dunlop disease, where your gut Dunlops over your belt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I could I, I could go on. But, well, please um, do. Well, um, I mean, our our show is called Shift Happens, and yes. it's basically a spiritual show. I mean, yes, there's some good fun, and especially at Tesh's expense. But yeah, we're all about opening the the consciousness, and you're on a good roll. So please continue. The most wonderful thing for me at this point is um, is to tickle tickle these reservoirs of joy which exist in the vessel, but that we don't even know they exist. And the only way we can find them is sometimes by chance, sometimes we stumble upon them. But in um, in this particular practice. You can, you can find um, a very significant pond <laughs> uh, almost instantly. So, I, so I, I like what you say. So you, I just wanted a quick fix because you can instantly have the experience of recreating your stature, which is something that very few people are aware that they even have such a thing. And um, even fewer people have actually realized it uh, in, its, in its full flex. So when I say stature, I mean um, just of the muscles and the bones of the body. And how not they respond about, to gravity. Not, not Exactly. Not talking about any kind of uh, acknowledgement or recognition or appearance. Mm-hmm. Most important, not of appearance. This has nothing to do with appearance and nothing to do with posture. So if those are qualifiers, 
that suggests that it's really an interior experience. And when we refer to anything interior, it implies toward um, something more of a spiritual nature. And at the same time, it's my vessel on my feet being anchored, and therefore I am instantaneously my own authority about uh, how I am and how I am physically. And if I find myself deepening an interest in that and can sustain my attention in this, um, in this condition of being differently organized than normally, well, as I said earlier, with every breath I take that I'm in this condition, something is accumulating and has a, a sense of permanence to it. So if I'm able to somehow withstand being distracted and drawn back into all of the considerations of the outer world, I can actually create an environment that is safe, reliable, and very easy to return to on a moment's notice. In the class, I'm, I'm fond of saying, you know, you can, you can come home to yourself in this way, in this anchored condition, in an elevator. <laughs> yes. So this is... And, uh, and, and what a relief. You know, the, 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 the taller the building, the longer you're able to uh, allow this condition to resonate through your entire nature. And before you know it, other people are unconsciously catching on. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the there something... There's Most something about the way that people are, the, pe the way that people hold themselves that you do respond to. It's a, a form of communication that, that transmits so much information about ourselves. And uh, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely notion. And, and I would only like to add to that this, this, um, this thing that we refer to as holding ourselves in a certain manner or fashion. Yes, indeed, but it's really a manifestation of how we are on the interior mm -hmm. to, to, to um, find a position that we think is, is, um, is tension-free. It's, it's really just shifting positions in a way, whereas if we continue to go back to this fundamental exercise of anchoring, well, we are generating every breath that we take. This, this very subtle substance that I call poise that somehow shoots up through the heels, through the ankles, through the knees, through the pelvis, and begins to filter into the upper body. So almost like bubbles of poise are uh, providing this buoyant, uplifted sensation. And it's nothing of my imagination. It's actually a sensation of floating. <laughs> and... Literally, within five breaths, one can begin to absorb this substance. And I, I just try to keep the vocabulary as simple as possible. By referring to it as a substance, it uh, informs the responsibility to generate it. It's nothing that you can get and then and keep. Because the moment the muscles engage the bone structure to hold it up because of muscular tension, because you've fallen off of your stature, the production of this substance immediately ceases. And the, um, 
the accumulation of substance that you had up until that moment immediately begins to evaporate, right. which is lawful in a way. Because if you're not conscious of being there, uh, cultivating this substance, well, you don't deserve to, uh, to linger in it. The nature of chi is flow. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's amazing that the, you can both talk about being anchored down into your heels and feeling that anchoredness at the very same time as feeling the, the experience of absolute floating. Well, they had to happen absolutely simultaneously, anchored and floating. Exactly. It goes directly back to what Anna said, this, this, this feeling of, um, of somebody who's in the room who is in a condition uh, similar to what we're describing. It's infectious, and it can spread across the room. And part of our vocabulary in our common practice is that while we're in this state, or even leaning toward it, or even participating in um, a, a demonstration of it, something in our nature begins to arise. And I like to think of it as our level of being. What is being? What is a level of being? What is a high level of being? What is a low level of being? These are all obviously um, uh, not, not questions to be answered, but certainly to be held open. And if a person is able to somehow take their life force and funnel it into an activity like this, and encourage a depth of stillness, and at the same time be experiencing a constant flow of joy from some source deep in the vessel that you don't even know where it is, but you know you're experiencing it because it's lifting you up. And before you know it, you've got your face completely, the bones of your face parallel to the sky. Your pelvis is a little bit forward of your torso. Your back is slightly arched, but it's really an abdominal lengthening movement that is being inspired from within. And when you're there and all of a sudden your arms begin to float up out to the side, you realize there's a hydraulic force of a very interesting nature at work in your own vessel. And it didn't really come from your third grade physical education class. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, It sounds a lot like Tai Chi in a a more sort of uh, stationary way. I mean, you're working with the flow of energy. Uh, You're connecting to the source or or anchoring. Um, but it's interesting to hear you talking about uh, and sensations that I've felt doing Tai Chi, that sensation of being energized and, and, and having a flow moving through my body. And floating. But I haven't ever tried doing it in a more stationary way. I really look forward to uh, getting with you guys in person. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, as I'm describing this, I'm actually... I'm doing it in my studio. And um, that's sort of what happens in the class, too. Uh, there isn't any, any uh, curriculum, particularly, that I follow. Um, 
we come together. We call it a gathering. It happens every Sunday at my house. It's a free, it's a free gathering. And people come, and we simply begin with this idea of anchoring ourselves. And um, the difference between something like this and um, other forms, Tai Chi, uh, Qigong, there's, there's, um, there's forests that have been cut down so they could print books about all of these yeah. items. What I'm speaking about is something that is already intrinsic. It's already of our nature. Mm-hmm. It's asleep. And, and we're going to just urge it gently awake by simply taking the vessel and placing it into a condition where it may actually experience its fully realized stature in a very short time. And this is something that we, we lean toward with no particular destination in mind. Mm-hmm. It's really simply an opportunity to observe and acknowledge that, hmm, never really experienced my stature before. We have these, uh, these daily habits of sitting at a computer and driving and eating and drinking that encourage this compression of the torso that is very engaging. And we are all 100% addicted to these habits of movement. Well, it's very important to me and to the folks who come around that I, I share these reflections with, that we don't ever try to change that, that we learn to get to know this place that we all settle at as a result of being um, compressed by gravity and get to know it so well and so intimately, like a lover indeed, so that we can have a crystal clear mark of the point of departure in our new Evolution, our new re-sculpting of who it is we were actually born to be physically. Do you feel so, that... Oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I just, I just trying to connect all of these things that we're speaking about. Mm-hmm. As soon as a person stumbles upon the notion of uh, experiencing who they were born to be physically, once again, this is a very significant spiritual implication. And... Because we're all clearly, without argument, spiritualized, I think it's a pretty tricky thing to um, offer prescriptions about how to go get spiritual. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we keep returning to the vessel, (laughs) this is a a fairly, I find that to be a fairly reliable uh, direction to lean toward. Well, because it's from within, correct? You're well, not looking outside of yourself, you're looking inside. More importantly, where, you know, uh, where, where are my, 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 my thoughts? Where am I looking from? Where are my feelings? Where is my history? Where is my mm-hmm. destiny? Is it in a cloud? Clouds are good words, good contemporary word. Um, or, is it, or is it in the vessel? Well, it's Can I download it from our body, the cloud? Our body is a con- container of everything. Our spiritual life, our past lives, if there are such things, and, um, and certainly um, whatever, whatever is to take place in the future is, is being prepared at this very moment with each and every breath. So how, how to find a, a way to suggest to people 
to uh, turn the attention toward cherishing each and every breath without sounding, you know, pompous or arrogant or, in any case, that even you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, as it's opposed, simple As shifts. opposed to returning to the body and, and attempting to just listen. What do you say we all just stand up and anchor ourselves for a minute and don't fidget? <laughs> you know? Yes. I like and what How did you know I was what shaking my leg? Yeah, I was fidgeting. I was shaking my leg when you were talking. I was fidgeting. I'm I'm admitting to being a fidgeter. Well, this is this is not in any way a a, a criticism. Uh, You should thank yourself for having fidgeting as as a means of uh, release. Observation. No, not release. But you know, the attention is a miraculous thing. When you place it very specifically on the body, uh, the energy that is typically causing people to fidget and, you know, pull their nails and, you know, scratch their head, all of a sudden it all funnels toward this other activity because Mm -hmm. it it requires um, an astute attention, a ray of attention that is always available but never directed. So... Let's keep it simple. Everybody gets out of bed and puts their two feet on the ground every morning. Well, how about suggest to them that as soon as your feet hit the ground, before you stand up, uh, just go ahead and see what it is to lengthen your abdomen. And take four or five breaths to do it with no destination in mind, no expectation in mind. But just for the fun of it, how about just for the fun of it? And see what happens to the oxygenated blood flow that immediately goes to the brain and awakens it with an impulse of clarity that otherwise you would not have uh, evoked had you just gotten up with your head down and dragged yourself into the bathroom. Yes, it's amazing what attention delivers. I like the... I guess it made it to Zen Koner in yoga, the, the saying, where attention goes, energy flows. And in yoga, it talks about that concentration is a deeper form of attention and absorption is a deeper form of concentration. But it all begins, as you say, with observing where your attention, how our attention gets robbed and gets taken and into the external world or all over the place. And as a society, you can see it in a lot of the young kids that uh, having your attention trained on something as simple and as beautiful as the life-giving breath and with just starting there, how simply, how it soon changes from something like a simple breath practice that's not all that fulfilling to an incredible pool of joy just from something like breathing. Pool of joy. This is what I'm after. (laughs) There's another pool or another pond or maybe even an ocean of it that is uh, somehow tapped within the vessel. And it doesn't make any sense at all because one has to say, well, where is such a large body of of, uh, substance? In the vessel, well, I think I think it has everything to do with the universal uh, obligation um, and eternity that all yes. of us are are absolutely 
um, within the flow of. Well, what are we going to do with this life? Are we going to go ahead and study something simply? Tesh, you know, I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. about this at length. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it simple, stupid, mm-hmm. you know, and beginning with where we are. What is- I like about what you're talking about, this simple practice, is that it's a recognition that it's within all of us and that we don't really need to go through any contortions or 20 years of training to access it. It's right there. Amen. This is, this is so central to the study. Every single one of us is formed identically. Every single one of us is the result of two people who touched each other in a powerful way. And therefore, in our essence, in our heart of hearts, there is this, uh, there is this, uh, it's, it's, it's a capacity to make contact, to touch. And to receive the, reason, the gift of that. The, the reason that we're here. Yeah. And it's not to go ahead and make $12 million. And it's not to spread the good news, and it's not to uh, be punished because, you know, we, we, we fornicated before we were married, you know? I mean, you think of Shakespeare, and you think of how he spun all of these tales out of all of these moral issues that issued from, from the church of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're talking about is something that is deeply religious, to make contact with who it is you were born to be. And begin by forgiving yourself. Forgive yourself that you never uh, quite arrived at home yet. Knew anything about about what what kind of self study was really available. Forgive yourself for um, your your attention, the finest attention that you have, being in coma your whole life, (laughs) and acknowledge that. It's not anybody's fault, and that now it's only an obligation that's waiting to be fulfilled, and you immediately, an impulse of joy washes over you because you're cognizant of the fact that um, this aspect of your nature that's waiting to arise is ever patient, and simply waiting for you to come home. And you come home not in any kind of special way with contortions and wrapping your foot around your head and chanting and and singing. I mean, that's all sort of a result of a celebratory impulse after one has made certain journeys and certain efforts. But simply to begin to be still now and don't qualify it with anything else and above all else, don't fidget. <laughs> because, uh, you know, fidget, fidgeting is it's just a nervous twitch that expresses it doesn't really know what it's doing. The whole point is to unify the mind and body. And the moment it's unified, there's a different energy coursing through it. Mm-hmm. And it happens, if it happens that you're busy unifying the aspects of your, of your nature proprioceptively, the placement of all of the various parts of the body right over the heels, and you're also able to benefit simultaneously of having the substance, subtle substance called poise, 
coursing up through your contact with the ground and filtering into the upper body. And before you know it, your throat opens and oxygenated blood starts pouring into your cerebellum with the greatest of ease. And you realize, wow, standing here alone, I've created a condition where there is no muscular tension nowhere whatsoever in my vessel. Why would I trade that in for this compressed character who really likes his laptop and his manual device? And You're definitely all- talking to a compressed character. Um, I've been going through a bit of a struggle over the last uh, several months. Uh, three months ago, I, I had a quadruple bypass. And... Uh, I'm going through the whole process of redefining myself. And long ago, I, I had a practice um, talking about what you are describing. And you're reminding me um, mm-hmm. of what it was like. But how do you deal with lack of self-love? I mean, that's, that's what I find it, it comes down to. I know it's there. I know how quickly I can get the, the silence back. But there's this chatter going on. There's this little voice that says, you really were a failure because they had to open you up and do all of this damage. And I wake up every day sore because, you know, I'm still... Dealing with the aftermath of the operation. And I was told that this is a hereditary thing. And you talked about two people coming together in a very powerful way. There's also a belief uh, that I read long ago about how the child heals the parents because they are the, the sum of the two parts and that the child takes on the the strengths as well as the the issues, the weaknesses of the parents, and processes their two collective issues. And in dealing with you know the inheriting of those issues, that somehow the parents can be healed as well. Do you know what I'm I'm saying? Well, it's. Um you're speaking volume, <laughs> volumes of uh, what I think everyone has the responsibility to ponder in their, in their lives. And when they have um, such specific experiences as you have with your, did you say a quadruple bypass? Yeah. It was um, a hereditary condition, they said. They said I probably had it in my early 20s. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it all it, it all points toward um, one of the uh, byproducts or one of the benefits of this kind of study of um, of becoming who we are born to be. To see that, first of all, with our parents, and and this is only my own experience through my own observations, um, they were, for example, immigrants. They didn't even speak the English language, and they were teenage parents, and so through a certain um, uh, in, in, innocent lack of understanding, they, they chose the best not, they to could. Us, not to teach us their, their own language because they were afraid we would be considered minorities. 
So to, to consider that I lived my whole life never having a conversation with my father in his native tongue is a heartbreak to me. And there was a period of time that I was sort of angry at them, as most adolescents are. They go through a period of that. But then this work that uh, has taken over my life has made me realize I, I don't even know myself who I am, why I'm here. Uh, take my father coming to a different country and being asked to perform all types of things in order to survive and succeed. He had a hundred times less of a chance to discern who he was. And therefore, when he got married and had children, he, he didn't really have a game plan regarding parenting. So who am I to hold him responsible for anything that I consider to have been uh, my misfortune or something untoward? Or his shortcomings. And, uh, yeah, exactly. And so all of this just leads to a general impulse of forgiveness for, and deeper love for and them and their efforts and what, what is there between me and my parents that, that I can really work with? Well, get on my knees and honor them to death. I don't have to like them. I don't have to love them. I don't have to be proud of, uh, of the genetic benefits or deficits that I acquired. Um, however, I, uh, I was given life through them in there in the in the middle of some you know teenage passion <laughs> mm -hmm. that they shared so that's sort of a glorious thing to uh to um to see the bond to begin um uh, my own journey uh I, i'm very interested in what you say about how do you deal with an absence of self-love well until I become who I was born to be, none of it really matters because all I'm dealing with is a concept of love that I acquired from a culture that is entirely unevolved. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's usually always reduced to some kind of a sexual affiliation that is the basis of some kind of love. When you get into you know, higher levels of love, loving, loving the, the miracle of life or loving abstractly uh, whoever it is you consider to be responsible for your creation. Uh, some people call it God. Some people call it, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm satisfied by referring to it as the maker. And oh, what an engineer that uh, character was. <laughs> because look at how miraculously we're all formed. So once again, going against the industry, the industry of the church, the industry of of all of the theories, but the simple fact is I exist, not because I see myself in a mirror, but because I'm not plugged into anything, and yet this, this machine can go for a hundred years if you just feed it gently and properly. So there's an awful lot that's inherent in our mere existence to, um, to begin to uh, study what is self-love. Really, mean. and what is self? <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is this is the heart of the work. This is the heart yes. of the work. At least, at least, Tesh, I love you for just letting me just keep talking and interrupt <laughs> you at will. But um, but at, at least to get to know the body, the container yes. of who I am, who yes. I think I am, the aspect that that um, has everything of my nature. Think of all of our relationships. 
with our parents and our children and our girlfriends and our lovers and our ex-wives whose names we forget in conversation. All of that is contained in the vessel. <laughs> what, a, what a chaotic morass of uh, mixed associations. Let's find something that we can do that can just anchor it and we can just calm down and not feel... Uh, obligated to present it in any particular way or perform any particular way, but simply to be present. So easy to say. And as we can, as we can tell through this conversation, extremely uh, not so easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, perhaps until grace becomes the doer. You know, like our egos always interpret our actions as if it if it's meant to be it's up to me and I'm the one that has to do and I'm the one that has to get do everything where I'm, yoga begins to to drop the veils and we find out that we're more the beers than the doers and the doing is shaped by the being that's right and that what space we hold for ourselves like I mean, it took me maybe 60 years on the planet before I started to consider that I had an inner child worth loving. And that the the inner child that I wanted my parents to love and thought that I wasn't and kind of held that concept all of my life, I thought, my gosh, I'm a, well, I'm about to be a great grandfather. And I better take that little inner Kenny by the hand and say, Kenny, you know, I went to, to bed, what, a week ago for the first time at night I went to bed. And I, it's the first time I went to bed and I said to myself, I love you, Tash. And I thought, where did that come from? But it's kind of an answer to your question about that whole thing about self-love. Gary, we've how, only got another sweet. minute. Another oh, minute goodness. before we're off the air. It has been an absolute pleasure. and We'd uh, love to do this again, though. Well, if you're open to, uh, you know, I mean, uh, how time flies when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a lot of listeners that podcast and it would really be good to share this with as many people as we could. We're beginning to pull in each week and uh, some men's work. Uh, Another friend uh, that's doing men's work, Barnett Keel. He's going to be an interview and love to get you in on that because you and I and him are all going to be doing some of this work together, Gary. So thanks I for remain today. Interested, I remain interested and available, and I adore all of you for your, your kindness and your welcome of, my, of these, these reflections. And I love, I love, love, love your questions because I don't really have any answers unless they're summoned. You know, something <laughs> yeah. is summoned. A, ref, a reflection is summoned based on what we experience that's reliable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And uh, come to the Kootenai sometime soon. He's been here. Uh, you know, I've been there before, and it's, uh, you know, I have a piece of land up there on, on, on Tesh's farm that's got my name on it. That's right. I, I intend to people it. <laughs> well, when you come, we'll cook you a meal from the depths of, our, depths of our beingness. How's that? Well, that's very, very sweet, and I, I appreciate that and look forward to that. Love we'll you, we'll see you next week. Beam on, okay. brother. Just All kidding. right. Take care, Tesh. I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye, you guys. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye.